disgusting little creatures. Soon all of you will feel my hate and suffer as I have suffered. Ireland podcast. As I said, we have to keep on counting the number until 31 and a half podcasts, and it becomes official and a regular thing. But until now, this is our very temporary Film Ireland podcast with me, Donica Tiernan. And me, Rory Moore. Apparently and we're we have, well, I was going to say, apparently we have serious co- commitment issues if 31 and a half. 30, well, <laughs> it's, you know, like any Irish marriage, essentially, really. <laughs> okay. I mean, that that's when you know people are serious about each other. There's diamond and... Broken Dreams is the next one, a year and a half after. <laughs> 30 isn't Diamond, I don't know that. Anyway, uh, anyway le- well, less of the... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's too uh, late. Dogmatisms, too dogmatisms. Late. Less of the dogmatisms. We're going to kick it off. We've got plenty of film news, reviews for you, and we're going to have our almighty homework, sec- homework section. And this week as well, a very special interview with a foremost expert on something, which is... It's unheard of in this basement, I think. An yeah, expert on and that, anything. that would be me on Waterworld, oh, okay. uh, which I'll be talking about extensively. No, not oh, joking, you can catch that, you know, I mean, maybe in four or five years where I finish my thousand-page anthology on the masterpiece that was Kevin Costner. As pointless as the film, film itself. Waterworld! <laughs> anyway, we're going to kick us off. Rory, would you like to kick us off with some news from this week? Yeah, just to, uh, I suppose, placate the Hollywood gods, we'll start with that. Um, Jupiter Ascending from the Wachowski's, Wachowski siblings has been pushed back from uh, next month. It was to come out late July, along with all the other blockbusters, and it's been pushed back to February. Allegedly because of um, issues with effects, but I'm cynical. You're yeah. much more cynical about this film than I am, though. I yeah, I've got I've got issues with all of it. I remember I saw the I I, I saw the trailer. I was uh, I was semi excited about, but I was skeptical as well because I did have to sit through John Carter at one point in my past. <laughs> uh, all the flashiness and special effects, and yes, I was thinking the same thing as you. You know, the original sci-fi. So I looked it up, and turns out the opening synopsis on uh, the opening line on the would-be IMDb synopsis was. Um, a search for the queen of the universe who heralds her throne by way of DNA. Yeah, which is just against your politics, really, isn't it? This is just... I, this yeah. is, I, I, to be honest, it, oh God, this, this just sounds terrible. Uh, start to finish. Channing Tatum. The half-wolf hybrid. Half-wolf hybrid who smells her from across the yeah. galaxy. No, no, no. Again, the line, my favourite line, the one I read. Uh, and again, I was still excited for this, but um, he has... He's been spliced with the DNA of a wolf or an alien wolf, presumably, to make him the perfect soldier, perfect hunter. And he can smell her genes from across, across the universe or across the galaxy. They were Rubber Bandits reference there. I'm aware of that. You naysayers who have never listened to the prank phone calls. Yeah, uh, I think that this might have been pushed back because they ran out of all the cocaine they bought with the Matrix money. <laughs> I think that ran out a hell of a lot of that a long, long time ago. Oh, I don't know. Did you see Cloud Atlas? I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, but, um, have I ever. <laughs> yeah, Let's, we're just did assuming. You see, yeah. Did you see Speed Racer? I didn't. Wow. All right. Well, they definitely had a hefty supply of. A this is the thing. Then. It's probably it's probably because of that that I am I'm still clean enough to have faith in the Wachowskis. But it's an original sci-fi script. I'm mad for some space opera. Channing Tatum is a great actor. Sean Bean is gonna. At least I hope the death will be heroic, and yeah, okay. I'm I, I am I am cynical about that. I w- I want, but I do want to live in a universe where Mila Kunis is queen. You do, yeah. Okay, I mean, I could, I, 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 could live with that. I mean, she could be queen right now, and we'd never know it. This is true. That's what the film is actually. Yeah, about. yeah. <laughs> God, it sounds so. It reminds me of that episode of South Park where they pick up that um, uh, 
that cold reading guy who t- pretends to talk to people's uh, oh, dead relatives yeah. and they name him the biggest douche in the universe and they take him to an award show with loads of aliens and everything it's hilarious uh, that's what this reminds me of um, under no means are these people the um, biggest douches in the universe just another of the many long line of instances that we were provided on this podcast as to why why yes men in Hollywood is a bad idea or as the 1970s biographies like to deem it cocaine addiction <laughs> you're mad on that today the concept no, of it the concept no. of it <laughs> no no again just to say I, 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 I was hopeful but now I am cynical because it, they're talking about that they need to finish the effects but this is about the time it would have been screening in front of test audiences and I'm assuming mm. they don't want to compete with them blockbusters this year yeah but, um, and they don't want to, nobody wants another John Carter on their hand no I've got better news though go on um, The Hateful Eight is going to happen Quentin Tarantino's previously aborted screenplay The Hateful Eight uh, is back is is no, it's very heavily rumored to be back in production uh, starting this November. There was a recent after he was majorly disappointed because apparently there was some trust issues. He only gave six people in Hollywood scripts, and I managed to be leaked. And he said it, he wasn't quite happy with it or finished with it at the time. But there was a recent readout in Hollywood of which there were no press allowed in attendance. Who? Who mattered was there? In that yeah, case. yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you who mattered. Who was there? It was Samuel L. Jackson, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Kurt Russell, and someone called James Ramar, who I'm not familiar with. And Bruce Dern was also there. It's probably the one I'm most excited about, to be honest. My major, I haven't really enjoyed a Quentin Tarantino film to the the full breast of the rest of the general public uh, since probably Death Proof which got a relatively lukewarm reception which I loved mm. um, not the lukewarm reception the film made itself <laughs> uh, basically Inglourious Bastards and Django Unchained just felt to me like genre pictures would added Quentin yeah it was it was Quentin does yeah Quentin yeah. at the movies does but um, no I I, 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 I I do understand he is a massive fan of westerns he is often named The Good, The Bad and The Ugly who he believes to be the finest directed film mm. of all time so he does he does have an eye in it and I reckon he might have seen it in his, he, what he is, has announced himself is that this will be a proper western which d- kind of denounces sounds Django. like an apology for it yeah. yeah yeah because I'm I'm not a fan of Django Unchained I think it's long and boring and really really self-indulgent oh extremely well, well so. filmmaking itself is but and Quentin Tarantino particularly but usually he justifies it and, yeah uh, no but by, by it's like a big boy playing with toys yeah but the rumours we're, we're reading about the script are low key a return to form because absolutely because I, and I'd like to point this out again as well because for the third film running a Quentin Tarantino script has managed to be leaked online Christopher Nolan this does not happen to no J.J. Abrams this does not happen to uh, what's happening here? Paul Thomas Anderson, this does not happen to. I'm merely speculating, but this is just a very... This is a high he's, frequency he's, of accidental script. And he's regularly gone on record as saying when he's finished a script and he's happy with it, you know, he's perfectly happy with himself. He says, it's done. I can make a movie of it now with the story yeah. is told. So, you know, there's a bit of self-satisfaction there. Again, we're not we're not hinting at anything too strongly, but um, either that or we should go online and try and guess his Dropbox password. <laughs> I'm hopeful for this one. Anyway. Yeah. It's fair to say I'm Excellent. hopeful. I've got one more bit of uh, one bit of news uh, that I'll rush briefly to because it's kind of very disappointing. The Edgar Wright replacement for the Ant-Man film is going to be one Peyton Reed. Um, now, rewriting the script that he originally co-wrote with Edgar Wright for presumably a shit ton of money <laughs> uh, is um, Adam Buxton. And uh, he was originally on when uh, 
when Edgar Wright signed on an almost a decade ago. Now, Peyton Reed has so far brought us the likes of Yes Man and Bring It On. So let's let's give this Ant-Man reassessment the benefit of uh, maybe not going to see it. No, uh, of course we're going to go see it. But yeah. they, I'm not. I'm not looking forward to this. I'm very, very cynical. I was really. I was looking forward to the Edgar Wright version of a Marvel movie for so long, and this just does not seem like an adequate. Yeah, this. My gut reaction to this is similar to Batman or Ben Affleck's casting as Batman. Not well, maybe not quite the same. But basically, when I can't see a reason for it. I assume that something has happened behind the scenes. He either gave a great yeah. pitch or I assume that there's, if there's no immediate connection I can make from his past films, I assume there has to be a reason. That's just really, I'm overly optimistic today, very, very clearly. Yeah. But um, no, I'll definitely go and see it. Yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean with that. Um, in particular, for the last uh, Captain America film, their biggest experience was what directing uh, Welcome to Collinwood, which is actually a great yeah. but comedy and film. Arrested community. Development and Community. No connection to a great comic book film that was Captain America yeah. Winter Soldier. Not the best one this year. We've had some real doozies this year. I'd say it's your favourite, is it? Uh, comic book movie, yeah, Captain America. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. My, mine, I'm going to throw it to the relatively mediocrely received The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Actually, prefer that day, the X Men Days of Future Past. Mm. I don't care who's listening. No, you rip forty minutes out of Spider Man, and it's there for me too. But anyway, yeah. moving on. Anyway, moving uh, swiftly along. Yes, we are very, very sad to announce the passing today. Uh, the podcast is recorded today on uh, Monday the eighth um, of ninth uh, of yeah. uh, Rick Mail. One Rick Mail of Bottom Young Ones, at Black Adder. Um, that English comedian you definitely know to see generally um, great British comedy fame uh, died sadly very early at the age of 56 I'm sure there was uh, an awful lot of the time like you take the likes of H.R. Geiger who hadn't worked since the 70s he did die but I imagine there wasn't too much great filmic work left in him I have a feeling we may have missed out on some fabulous absolutely. Rick Mail performances lot, that lost less energy in yeah. English comedy now and I, I, I'm going to give uh, a couple of my fa- have you got a favourite Rick Mail moment? I have absolutely one standout, which is from uh, Whoop, Whoops Apocalypse, which is a film from the early 80s, basically a parody of the Falklands War, but Rick Mail uh, appears as, I don't know what you'd call it, a cameo, but there's 15 minutes of him uh, the SAS, yeah, yeah. fecking around on screen, yeah. kicking down doors, shooting dummies, saying, that's where the, the one, fucking SAS? That's the one part of that film I've seen that's been shown to be repeatedly, actually. Yeah. That's now, very good slapstick. Great film overall, but if if you're on YouTube or near YouTube, which I assume you were near an internet machine at the moment, uh, fire that on Rick Mail SAS. It's fantastic. Um, and I've got I've got I've got two uh, great quotes from him that I'd like to uh, I'd like to finish with. One is uh, from uh, Blackadder. She's got a tongue like an electric eel and likes the taste of man's t- of a man's tonsils. And also, I'd like to from a 2000 interview with the Guardian, referring to Ben Elton and Harry Enfield, with whom he grew up in a not grew up, but started out in a comedy troupe. Well, they've let they've let Benzie and Harry into number ten, so I must be doing something right. I'm still fucking dangerous. <laughs> so uh, here's to Rick Mail. Sad loss for British comedy. Apparently, five seconds silence. Oh, I couldn't hold it. He could have just edited that in. Now I think of it. Oh well. <sighs> Anyway, uh, moving right along to this week's homework, we went over some relatively out there animated features, Disney, uh, Pixar, these are not. I assign Rory, uh, Prince, uh, Princess Mononoke, the uh, Miyazaki 1997 effort, which really put him on the world stage. Rory, what did you think of Mononoke? 
in short, I was a Miyazaki fan already, but I think it's up. It, this is now my favorite Miyazaki film. Just overall fantastic, great writing, great tone, and out of all of Miyazaki's films, it properly struck me as one that it's not a kids' film, it's not an adult film. There's no obviously there's a niche audience for it, but you can um, class it as an epic, can't you? Absolutely, yeah, and it's it draws an it, if it draws on myth. Which I would imagine it would, but mm. um, it's Japanese myth I'm not familiar with. It just feels really fresh and original and just out there in a way that I was totally on board with. Yeah, I love the the, the bizarrety of, of Miyazaki's creations. The When um, the, the, the spirit of the forest where he's towering over the town like some sort of, like, it's nearly like a Henry Selleck creation, but he seems organic. It actually reminded me of, you know, the forest spirit that appears in um, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. yeah. Yeah, but that that's a, that sort of organic design. But it's a Hollywoodized version. That like the main thing about this film and the, and the spirits. And I suppose a quick rundown first of what happens is you have a prince who um, aiming to save his village and his own life after he's been cursed by a dark forest demon. Uh, he sets out to find out what uh, I suppose uh, troubling the heart of the forest or turning these spirits um, bad and meets Prince Princess Mononoke along the way. Yeah, it's kind of it's 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 uh, giant wolves. Yeah, giant it, warthogs. It, it, it's a regular kind of, um, I suppose, Japanese trope in as much Japanese film as I've seen. Anime Miyazaki's work where it's um, industry and conflict with nature, but this kind of implies that they don't have to be. But the, yeah, the main thing is the spirits in it. There are no out-and-out villains in this, which is not easily said. It's a Disney film for, mm. for people who, who like, I suppose, moral ambiguity. But yeah, the spirits in it are both the, the, the heroes you're supposed to be on board with and the villains because they can turn either way. And... Basically, what I'm getting at with the spirits in this is they go from lovable, you can make plush toys from them, to genuinely creepy. There's something about um the main spirit in it, like you spoke about it, the Lord yeah. of the Forest, the Dear Lord. When he wa- like, there's moments where he's walking and he never makes a sound on the screen. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's terrifying. Yeah, it's the, really unnerving. And right? he takes on a human face sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I there is well, there's something so very unique about the way that um natural things organic things within the Miyazaki um frame the way they move mm. um they're like van gogh paintings animated they're, they're like a uh, which might, <laughs> might be me talking out of my arse <laughs> you know, that's why we're down here that's where we're locked in the basement you can't tell what i have near the microphone but uh i yeah i i, I love this film i'm glad you enjoyed it um i believe i gave you persepolis from uh marjane Rapati? Raspati? Sorry, I'm... Raspati. Saprati. God damn it, I uh, meant to be cultured. Marjani Saprati. Right. Give, so give us a rundown first. This is the story... Um, this is the story of the the writer. <laughs> uh, it's a biopic, essentially, that she wrote herself. She wrote it in graphic novel form, but here it is adapted. Of her living in Shah-era Iran, so in around the 1970s, and growing up to see through the re- the Islamist revolution that occurred there, the religious oppression that occurred there, as seen through her eyes, she lives briefly in Vienna. Her parents send her abroad to Vienna. She comes back, and then they send her abroad to Paris when, it, once again, religious oppression takes hold. Now, this is a really special film. Mm. Um, I don't really say that lightly, and I'm, lightly, and I'm glad I enjoyed it so much. I'm recently, after reading the comic book Mouse, Arch Spiegelman's um, story of his grand his father's uh, life through the Holocaust, basically a wonderful illustration of of history and a great use of the medium of comic books. Now I can imagine that this graphic novel utilizes the medium terrifically as well, because the animation in this just sings hymns to this type of comic book and this sort of 
really sparse art like uh, like the the storytelling is is quite rich um it's all mostly black and white because it's mostly told in flashback the color parts where she's living in france in the modern day are um they're in color there's just great little insights into islamist into the, the iranian life to break down cultural stereotypes that are concrete in people's brains already. For instance, like it's got Muslim women coming home and just throwing off the headscarves, yeah. just being like, "Oh, knackered," or like uh, buying Iron Maiden tapes on the sly off would-be dealers on the sides of streets. This is like it's very, very interesting stuff, and it does a great deal to you know deconstruct all these stereotypes because it doesn't at any point denounce Islam, just religious oppression. I think is what yeah. it goes. Is what it has a goal at, and uh, for that, I thought it was a really special film. I would gladly watch it again in the company of other people because I think it's an important one to watch. Absolutely, and it's something that I suppose it's more or less autobiographical or biographical even uh, for her, but it's also remarkably like it's very personal, but it's really clear sighted and it has some fantastic. I know what you quite call a political satire, but the history of say the Iranian Revolution and her own mm. life is told in this uh, really misleading like child storybook kind of yeah. way like the history lessons Jordy but it's animation yeah yeah it's just really really acerbic wit and um yeah i loved it and I, like, you can see it in the i think the french both french and the english were voiced by her she voices um her own character did you see it in english or french but you said i the, saw it in french but uh, the credits rolled afterwards as a great english cast yeah uh, yeah sean penn uh, as her father and uh, iggy pop as one of her boyfriends yeah it's just a fantastic film. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, uh, I did. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, wow, we can we continue to score on on all sides with one another on the homework. I hope I, I hope I managed to give you a turkey sometimes. I hope that doesn't show bias. <laughs> anyway, now we're going to move swiftly along to our review section uh, of the show. What we have for you this week in store? We both saw, I believe, Twenty Two Jump Street. Hmm. And now, 22 Jump Street, what did we think? Um, uh, first things first. Oh, uh, we have a little synopsis, we should do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, this is the sequel to 2011's 21 Jump Street by Lord and Miller, who have seen us through two terrific Cloudy with Chance of Meatballs movies, 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie. I like these guys. I mm. like the way they approach story and filmmaking because they really even take themselves with a pinch of salt and you can take that, you, you can see that. Now, 21 Jump Street was so massively popular probably not surprising to the to the makers because they're clearly confident in their own yeah yeah humor. but it shouldn't have been as good as it was no it's basically 21 Jump Street was a <laughs> was a they used a cheesy 80s TV show in which two undercover cops infiltrate a high school in order to see you know what the crack is with teenage criminals now Presumably they were lampooning this whole spiel in recent Hollywood of just taking old tired materials like that awful A-Team movie and just rehashing them for the sake of maybe cleaning it. Now this is something that nobody remembers. I didn't. I, I had no idea this nope, show existed. No. Johnny Depp was in it apparently. He yeah. shows up in a terrific cameo at the end of the yeah, first one. Yeah, an absolutely brilliant one. Now the one. first one, I loved. And the second one, I loved as well. But the second one, in which they infiltrate a college from... Just the it, the title of Twenty One Jump Street refers to the Korean church in which their base is. Twenty Two Jump Street, they got more money for the sequel, which they directly tell us at the start of the yeah. film. So they move across the street. This isn't a film. I don't know what this is, but I loved it. I really laughed a lot. This is. Uh, it doesn't take the medium seriously. No, it's Lord and Miller having a bit of crack, and no one should mind. I don't think. No. I, I like. 
basically if you love the first one you love this um i still really really enjoyed it i have to tack something on to the end of that a qualifier to kind of say there's it's almost too self-aware for me at times but it never quite overdoes it it just um like there's one thing like uh taking taking i don't know making fun of the medium but they're just they're literally i feel like a producer went to them seriously and said we want to do a sequel and they kind of threw out a whole lot of mad ideas as to what they would do and the producer at the end went at the end of the meeting no seriously i'm giving you this money and they went oh okay went off and wrote the script (laughs) although the script was written by the writer of the original and Jonah Hill. And Jonah Hill, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent. And Great jokes in it. Has I, it been out long enough that we can talk about the credits? I don't want to ruin no, that for anyone. Okay, no, we can't. stay I don't till the ruin end. That um, for anyone. Yeah, I'll give you the Marvel notice for this. Stay till the end. It's fantastic. It is brilliant. Yeah. It's really, really a doozy on it. One thing I, I want to hold out props to the, to the screenwriters for on this is the visual gags woven into it are really, really good. Yeah. Um, the two Annie Hall gags. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the uh... with the lobsters, <laughs> were split second. Yeah, and they're just there, and they're great. And they were there for no one but people who who've seen it yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it uh, was. And they were there twice, no less. Yeah, there's a great Benny Hill gag with the hat. Who's trying trying to fit his hat on? It's lovers of comedy. I think it's 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 um, a proper. Yeah, Channing Tatum playing dumb remarkably well. Yeah, really, really good. He's, in this. I, I need to <laughs> careful now. I was going to say I need to see more of him, and then I did say it. But uh, <laughs> no, you he's need to just, watch Magic Mike too. Then yeah, so. this is true. Um, yeah, great film. Go see it. Uh, yeah, genuinely, because one thing as well that's it's fair and important to mention. This is that very rare thing of a good comedy sequel. Yeah, and how rare is that? Name another one. Oh. Okay, just go see 22 Jump Street and then yeah. watch 21 Jump Street again immediately after because that's what I did. I went home just to see how, and it's, it's and it lads, very any, close, any but it's excellent. No, any is no like any good comedy sequels out there that you might uh, ma- mention. Uh, the Naked Gun trilogy doesn't count because they're... Just, they're all excellent. Yeah, they're all excellent. Yeah, you want to send us a, into the Film Ireland Twitter account, is it? Yeah, or yeah, you yeah. can get us at uh, filmirelandpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, filmirelandpodcast at gmail.com. All we're getting so far are these like, Nigerian princes who want to give us money, but... Um, I'm not know. up for that, Well, personally. I'm enjoying my role in Ireland at the moment. And I like I like the basement here. I it like you, nice, nice. Well, you're all right, too. <laughs> um, next up, we are going to move on to a film that me and Rory recently very saw in the, in the same screening, no less. Um, no um, bias whatsoever. Yeah, and we actually... We had two fellow film Irelanders... Um, we had one fellow film Irelander, Stephen uh, Totterdale, uh, interview the stars of this film last week, uh, namely Barry Ward and Simone Kirby. This is Ken Loach's reportedly last film, uh, Jimmy's Hall, which uh, was written by Paul Laverty. It's the same collaborator with, with, with which he made uh, Win the Chicks, the Berlin. Now, to give you a lowdown on this, this is the story of uh, Jimmy Gralton, who is Ireland's only obligated expat, meaning he was forcibly deported from the country in the 1930s. Now, what he was, was he was, he was a socialist who set up a dance hall in Limerick. Who the, in Leitrim. In Leitrim, who the uh, church got behind the um, persecution against. And he, he, was, he, he had to flee one time on, a, on account of threatened violence against his person. And then he returned home, set up the dance hall again, was eventually forced into exile. Now, I... Absolutely loved this. Yeah, I thought this was fantastic. I, 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 this is such a sycophantic podcast. I'm just trying to think: is there first of all, is there a film that we dislike on it, and secondly, have we disagreed? <laughs> yeah. Jimmy's Hall is a fantastic film. We'll just write off this week as yeah, sycophantic. It's 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 really really something. Um, we're into what June, and we've had it's 
probably one of Irishman's best, best years, years in a long time. In a long time, we've had we've had Frank, we've had Calvary, but the, the, this for me is well was genuinely surprised because I saw the trailer and I thought it'd be a lukewarm goodbye film from Ken Loach, but he shoots this with grace, with love. Um, first of all, big shout out to Barry Ward, uh, who's this is the first time I've seen him in anything. He must have been a theatre actor. Uh, because uh, for a long lot for four, the last film he appeared in was a Michael Winterbottom film uh, from 2014 called uh, The Grant I think it was, it, it was, it was it, from this year um, no 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 from 2000 was the last film oh, he appeared in he's terrific from the second he's on the screen uh, Barry Ward has just got magnetic screen presence yeah he's like an Aidan Gillen who filled out around puberty oh um, he's terrific yeah yeah um, he, uh, also to Simone Kirby they were both interviewed uh, by Film Irelander uh, St- Stephen Totterdale uh, just last week uh, Simone Kirby also excellent in it Andrew Scott aka Moriarty from BBC's Sherlock Jim Norton Len um, who doesn't get kicked up the arse no he Bishop does not uh, but he does, he's, the, he's the, the big bad but again no, I want to break this down and talk about it a little bit this is what Irish film was wanting all the way through the 90s is a film that doesn't stigmatise the church's role in Ireland but rather examines it and acknowledges uh, that there are some some human beings behind yeah, the dog collar that they're, yeah, they're, they're like it shows our politics from all angles as I thought felt Calvary did very well this year but this this is shot with Ken Loach is just a great eye as well for the non-actors mm. that feature in it they really help just just nourish the background of the film like whereas Calvary every character had a very definite function in the plot this is a tapestry that really recreates yeah, yeah. 1930s Ireland. And Calvary, while fantastic, is, you know, there's a person in every role. There's an actor in every yeah. role. Whereas in this, you know, the speeches are stuttered. The the lines are occasionally fumbled, but it just feels really, really authentic because of it. And he's got a Mike Lay style of direction in that he just lets moments happen mm. before the camera. Yeah. He lets things happen and they happen very organically. There's a great scene where he introduces a jazz jazz record into the the dance hall early on where he decides to reopen it and a gramophone which he's brought back from New York. For feeding cattle. (laughs) Oh, it's a great line in there. And uh, he's teaching them a dance and there's just this this old man, a nameless actor, just on a windowsill in the back just tap, tap, tap on his feet and Ken Loach just picks these moments beautifully. I'd say his editing suite is lush with this sort of thing because the whole thing has the feeling of just great freedom for the actors. Yeah. Um to really feel out the roles. Now, there's there's one or two moments that are jotted into it, but it mostly feels organic. There is of course the obligatory Ken Loach socialism scene which I never object to. Yeah, there are manifesto moments, but it doesn't dwell on them either. But it, yay, Ken Loach, uh, yay, I want to see more films from him. He hinted recently at, Can- at the Cannes Film Festival that this mightn't in fact be his last film. I really hope it isn't. Now, uh, we have a very special treat for you before we move on with the last of our reviews. And that is myself, uh, Donna Turn, interviewing Ireland's foremost expert on Jimmy Galdron. Uh, Gralton. G- uh, Gralton. I'm sure I'll correct you in the I'm interview. Not, I'm, not, yeah, <laughs> I'm not the uh, the foremost expert then. Uh, Jimmy Gralton, he's a, a published historian writing a PhD in the University of Limerick and he has published the most meticulously written piece on Jimmy Gralton in Ireland ever. Uh, so there we go. Here's my interview with uh, Stephen Ryan. He'll tell you his thoughts on this wonderful film. All right, lads. Uh, here I am with uh, Ireland's foremost expert on Jimmy Gralton, Mr. Stephen Ryan. Say hello, Stephen. Hello, Donica. I'm not sure about foremost expert, but I've written on Jim Gralton, and that'll be enough. 
He has indeed. Uh, Stephen is currently uh, studying for a PhD in history. He's a historian and a comedian and an actor, a jack of all trades and a master of uh, none. And uh, one of the topics he covered uh, rather exclusively was the first band to cover Jimmy, Jim Gralton in quite some time, who is, of course, the subject of the new, rather wonderful Ken Loach film, Jimmy's Hall, um, written by his regular collaborator, Paul Laverty, and based on the play by Donal O'Kelly. Right, first things first, Stephen. Um, did you enjoy the film? I did. I really enjoyed it. I thought, um, I thought Ken Loach did, did a brilliant job, and... He has done a brilliant job on dealing with with quite difficult topics often and um and I was very impressed with that with the with the the way the film was constructed, especially since having written on the topic, I couldn't envision it being a film when I was writing on it. I thought it was too too much of a a kind of a an incident a standalone incident that that wouldn't have carried through, but he did an excellent job so fair play. Mm. It's a, a very fascinating, lovely, little, uh, interesting episode in Irish history. Um, and having read your paper, Class Conflict in South, in South Leitrim, which is uh, Stephen's one about um, Jimmy Gralton, I found that it's actually, uh, it's actually quite historically accurate, the film. Is that a pleasant surprise in terms of what you've come to expect from adaptations of history? It is. Being, uh, being a Ken Loach film I did expect it would be accurate but they really hit the nail in the head with it I thought they would take a bit more uh, more room to maneuver even just to make the story out of it um, but in fact they they it, it just it hit the nail in the head it was very accurate there wasn't there wasn't anything hugely I could pick on that. they killed his father off sooner than it happened in real life they did As in, he doesn't feature in the film at all. That's true. Um, when he comes home in the film and in real life, it's because his brother Charlie had died. But actually, it would have been, and it was a curious point that it was overlooked. That because just before his um, his extradition, uh, two days before it, his his father died, and no leniency was shown. Now, whether it's just a case of if they if, if they did it in the film, people would have thought that couldn't have happened. That's too coincidental. Mm. But that was the way it actually happened. So maybe that was the reasoning behind not including it in the film. It would have been an it would have been another incident as well in a highly charged third act. To be fair, now how do you feel uh, Ireland has been portrayed uh, on film on screen best? So in in the films that you've seen, the Irish history that you would know, which which film do you think nails it the best? Of of that time, I mean that that was hard to trump. They got the they got the feeling, and more so than the wind that shakes the barley, which well was a fictional story, but intended to capture the mood and capture the attitude and capture some of the the events that happened, but didn't obviously happen to the the character involved. Um, I thought that was both of of Ken Loach's were excellent. The other obvious historical film that. Hap, um, that came out was Michael Collins, which was, well, which was very historically inaccurate and 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 dissatisfying <laughs> as a result. Um, the the only other one I'm kind of I can think of off the cuff is uh, the Treaty, which dealt with the Treaty debates. Brendan Gleeson was in it as a very young man. I've always meant to watch that. Isn't it any good? It's very good. Deals with the very, again, a, a difficult topic mm. to cover. Um, Really well done. Um, All right. 
Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed from watching Ken Loach cinema and uh, you've seen Ken Loach films in the past that he's an ardent socialist and always manages to really hammer in home at least one scene very obliquely stating a socialist, uh, a socialist message um, or, or agenda to the film. Um, what did you think of the one... Um, what did you think of the one that appeared in this one, which is essentially uh, Jimmy Gralton and um, another gang of lads undoing the eviction uh, from an estate in South Leitrim? I thought it was brilliant, again, that they chose a moment that had historical accuracy therein, because Jimmy Gralton was involved with the Direct Action Committee in reinstalling a tenant on the Kingston estate, and... I. Uh, I mean, it was a powerful speech. The one thing I thought was curious was they didn't opt, which would have been a very powerful scene, in my opinion, that actually did um, did occur as well, was when Padder O'Donnell, a Donegal socialist, came down and with other left-wing leaders and attempted to lobby the community in Drumsna in County Leitrim, and they were also going to... They're also going to have a meeting in Gowl, but that one got cancelled after the reception in Drumsna. But Father Cosgrave came out and led the congregation out of the church and um, started hurling mud and scraws at the speakers and ultimately chased them out of town. The fact that that wasn't included in the film, I thought it would have lent itself very powerfully. But perhaps maybe, like you already mentioned, it was the fact that it was already such a third char- uh, a charged third act mm. that that was the reasoning behind it but i i always imagined that would have been a brilliant scene it just because it was such a direct conflict yeah it was and a physical conflict he was the the priest was the hurling was, hurling mud himself hurling actually mud himself yeah, yeah. yeah. basically so you've got hidden agenda in the early 1990s which is about an ira hit you've got the wind that shakes the barley and now jimmy's hall Ken Loach in Ireland, essentially. What's the what's the connection? What's the empathy that you reckon Ken Loach feels for our glorious nation state? Um, I think partially because maybe the stories. I, I mean, Ireland hasn't featured hugely in cinema um, Irish history, so perhaps that was part of the reasoning. But also, I think because. We do have a strong socialist history, and that that history is very conflicting with the other image of Ireland, the the image of of the Catholic Church and the you know the comely dan- maidens dancing at the crossroads. It's it's very much in conflict with that and unspoken of. So perhaps that that's a motivating factor. Also, incidentally, Marx wrote considerably on Ireland it was so so maybe maybe that would have drawn his attention as a socialist going back to the film a little second uh, the uh, how do you feel they dealt with um, they dealt with the church in this film because I'm we've been used to a history of films in Ireland where the church are well, films about the church basically usually fe- feature the church as represented through one evil figurehead and thereby makes the whole organization just a one-dimensional pantomime villain this film did not do that. This film went to other places and explored it. How do you feel that, that, that they dealt with it, considering your knowledge of, of the context and the time? Well, with, without trying to give away too many spoilers of the film, there were two priests significant in the film. Played by Andrew Scott and Jim Norton, a.k.a. Bishop Glenn Brennan 
and uh, Moriarty. Yeah, and um, Andrew Scott was very much. He he was a priest who didn't have. He didn't, you know, he wasn't supportive of of um, of Gralton, but he didn't he didn't speak out against him either particularly. Whereas um, Jim Norton's character, Father Sheridan, was very, very almost obsessed with. Now, um, I did think that it was excellent, the, the fixation with jazz, the fixation with, um, with the dance. I thought that was covered very well. But I thought the... Because at the time, um, I believe, like, priests in Ireland were openly instructed around the country to call dancing these dancing meetings Satanist or, or something along those lines. Yeah, Antichrist. they called them Antichrists and uh, dens of iniquity and all of this. And it was a real obsession with the church. But um, but I did think, from what I have read and and um, on, on Grelton, there was very little support from the clergy, the local clergy, for him at all. There didn't. All of the local clergy spoke out. It was Father O'Dowd called him an antichrist, and Father Crasgrave, as I already mentioned, hurled scraws at him. Whereas there would have been other priests who would have been far more supportive. I know. Um, I think it was a granduncle of of the TD Ming Flanagan, Father Flanagan. He would have been from Roscommon. He would have been supportive of socialism and. He would have been supportive of that kind of, I suppose, progressive thinking within the church. So I guess maybe that was the line of thinking to to use um, Andrew Scott's character to portray this this other line of thinking. But it certainly didn't seem to be the case in South Leitrim itself at the time. Um, we're nearly out of time there, so I'm just going to swing one question by you. Uh, one more question by you. Um, as a as a historian. Uh, and as an Irishman and uh, as a film fan, what Irish, what what film detailing Irish history do you really want to see? What incident do you want covered? I have been musing over it for a while, but I think that it's amazing it hasn't been done. The story of Frank Ryan, um, it there was a film brought out by Professor Bell and. Um, Oh, the McGarry, Fergal McGarry. Uh, there, last year it was brought out, and it's, it's a good, it's a good film. But I think, uh, I think there's certainly scope for for a bit more on that. A bigger budget and a few more helicopter crashes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's all we've uh, really had time for. Stephen Ryan, you've been fantastic. You can see Stephen performing at numerous clubs and colleges all around the country and world. Uh, say goodbye, Stephen. Take care. All right, uh, and I'm back to a dark cave to meet up with, to, to Rory Moore again. Bye-bye. And that was Stephen Ryan, probably being really knowledgeable and erudite about Jimmy Gralton. I haven't heard the interview yet. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, again, it's very easy to find on, on Google Stephen's paper on Jimmy Gralton if you just uh, Google class conflict in Leitrim and Stephen Ryan and you should run into it. It is a, a doozy of a read. I really enjoyed it. It's all about the red crisis of the 1930s in Ireland. I want to know um, how many Google search results come up with that. Class conflict <laughs> in Leitrim. Fourth class kicked the shit out of third class in Leitrim Community <laughs> School. 
All right, all right. We've got a couple more things to talk about this this week. First of all, you reviewed Oculus. I did. Um, I'm not certain if it's going to be live on the site yet, so I'll just give uh, broad strokes, but I suppose. Uh, Oculus is a horror film by writer-director Mike Flanagan. Based, I think it's based on a short that he wrote and directed in 2001, but basically, um, I suppose a rundown of the plot. Uh, we have a young man released from a psych ward into the care of his sister, played by Karen Gillan, who basically this this young man played by uh, Brendan Twaits, Brandon Twaits, is just trying to uh, kind of protect his recovery so and uh, I suppose and get back onto the road to um, I suppose living a life he's still quite young while his sister is slowly trying to drag him back into this tragic passage from his youth and trying to convince him that it was not their fault but it was in fact a supernatural occurrence um, namely a mirror an antique mirror that hung in their home and essentially turned both their parents insane yeah it's 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 an interesting premise uh, fantastically cast uh, Karen Gillan is, is very good here when she's allowed to be I, I have certain issues with this it, it, it has an interesting device it's very ambitious where we're not just we don't get a quick 10 minute tragic backstory here it jumps back and forth constantly and eventually kind of melds i suppose you have katie sackoff yeah. probably best known as um starbuck from battlestar galactica Ooh, very yeah. nice playing their mother and she gets just about as much screen time i suppose as karen gillen and, and brendan twitch in in the north in, in the present day jumps back and forth until i suppose it tries to create this whole psychological melding moment where no, to my mind Sorry for interrupting. No. You actually finished there. Well, I was just going to say it, it, it aims towards a, a kind of a climax where you're struggling to differentiate between past and present. But I'll go on again about that again in a minute. No, to my mind, there are. I'm a I'm a big horror film fan. Uh, I, to be honest, I did, I'm probably to horror films what you might be to sci-fi. I, I genuinely do adore yeah. a good horror film. I enjoy. The, I, to my mind, there are two types of horror film as far as I'm concerned. There are mood pieces and there are beat pieces. Mm. Mood pieces such as Rosemary's Baby or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre will create a mood that grows and grows until it explodes, and you you aren't you, you don't really need all of that climax. Or there are fil- horror films that really go for go for just the the beat down of it, where the the rhythm just grows and grows and grows. You get a slow start, and eventually the scares are hopping out at you. A great example would be. Sam Raimi's Evil Dead films or indeed his Drag Me to Hell which I was a huge fan of or The Orphan now which category does Oculus fall into? Um, it throws story beats out out the, out the window straight away not necessarily in a bad way again the, the opening of this film is really promising but uh, it's a really unconventional script structure with this jumping back and forth and this you know it's hard to say who's the lead in this mm. um, Katie Sackhoff is fantastic as the mother uh, Karen Gillan is excellent and Brendan Twaits is he, he's I get the feeling he's a good actor but he just doesn't have the room here it's not a good character it's written it's quite bland and what sort of character Twaits does he have? basically he's fresh out no, of no 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 I said what sort of character uh... Twaits does he have? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was me being slow, lacking coffee, or have I known you long enough that I just like muffle those? I'd like my to brain think filters them. People will subconsciously ignore them, and then I'll just I'll just fade into a wall and yeah. be, be nothing. Not with that shirt, friend. Are we recommending it? <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'll recommend. Yeah, I'll absolutely recommend it for horror fans because I'm interested to see what people think. I think it, it collapses upon itself. It's a bit of a mess by the end, and it's one of these films that I purposely avoided the trailer, and I'm glad I did because any of the moments that did catch me would have been spoiled by the trailer. Mm. Just this, just in one other piece of film news, um, renowned film critic Donegal Tiernan has this year shaved his beard. 
Yeah. yeah. This just in, yeah, someone just kicked down the basement door to, to, to hand me a piece of paper saying that. Yeah, and this week, uh, this I week think I, I've shaved my beard. It's no longer with me. I'll be growing it back. I apologise to all my fans. It was a drunken moment. I'm I'm so embarrassed. Well, there's less static on the mic, so there is that. All right. <laughs> we have also out this week, we have Grace of Monaco, which opened Cannes this year and was immediately ridiculed. It's a... Uh, Oliver De, De Haan's had seen minor... He saw major success... And much failure since he saw major success with La Vie en la Rose, uh, the Edith Piaf uh, biopic, and has since just sort of drifted down the scale. Now this garnered quite a big budget, and uh, Nicole Kidman and Tim, and Tim Roth Tim in the lead yeah. as the as the as Princess Grace Kelly, who uh, married out of Hollywood essentially to marry the Prince of Monaco, played by Tim Roth. And uh, this the film chronicles she is asked back to filmmaking by Alfred Hitchcock. And she also has to manage the uh, expectations of her uh, populations, of her region of uh, millionaires who are worried that uh, yeah. Charles de Gaulle might worry, might start making them um, pay tax. Now, instantaneously, unless you were taking a, a, just a downright pessimistic angle in the screenwriting, this just sounds like, why the hell did you make this film? And consequently enough, it has been rubbished by Film Ireland's own David Prenderville, who entitled his review... Crushed by profound boredom and bad politics. Now, I had I had no intention of really going to see this, but to be honest, if anybody wants to buy my ticket for uh, for me, I will <laughs> gladly go in and loudly rubbish the screen, a la the cinema goers in the opening scene of Scary Movie Two. This just sounds like a turkey. I may I might actually just someday stick it on ironically for a comedy at home but um, please don't give this this pile of dirge more money yeah. than it needs all I have to say about it is um, I saw the trailer about two weeks ago and um, in the kind of fugue state I fall into while waiting for a film to start in the cinema I thought it was a perfume ad at first it's no, Nicole Kidman walking through paparazzi with uh, long gowns trailing behind her Ugh. it's yeah it, it's um, yeah. no I was going to say it's not very good I haven't seen it but I, I trust it, the, Mr. David yeah, Prendival I, I, th- trust, I trust our own Film Ireland uh, uh, reviewers uh, some of whom hopefully will have on the po- will have on the podcast at some point in the future I'm sure you're getting uh, bored of Rory Moore uh, <sighs> they just won't let me out the basement okay if I could leave I would is there anybody in the world who wants more Rory uh, can we name a film to go and see in the cinema this week I think it's got to be Jimmy's Hall yeah Jimmy's Hall is absolutely my film Gales. of it's going to be there with uh, like you were saying yourself a film of the year I think yeah, um, it's, I'm so happy that halfway through the year I can name three Irish films in my top ten so far and my number one is probably an Irish film uh, so far but um, which of course is Oculus no uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, okay lads uh, it's time to wind up oh beforehand I'm gonna dictate you some homework for next week oh uh, yes what uh, I would have decided upon just to make up for the turkey that was Grace of Monaco that we won't see uh, t- just to show people that there are in fact good biopics out there have you seen the 1992 in my to my mind masterpiece uh the Madness of King George. I have not, but it sounds aptly titled, and I well, look forward I, to it. I guess you're watching that this week. Have you got something to shoot? Um, I, I want to redeem Mr. Dehan and have you watch Marion Cotillard in uh, Le Vie en Rose. Fantastic I've been film. meaning to watch that for quite some Won time. Won an Oscar for her, and it's it, it's a good one. 
Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, in two weeks for the fourth of Thirty One and a Half Podcast, <laughs> lads. Uh, you've been great. You've been actually just a recording thing, just with numbers slotting along. This far again, you are so. Hal, our recording machine, yeah, just yeah. blinking at us. Hal, you've been great. Uh, and listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, keep keeping up with the Film Ireland Podcast. Email us if you want to, and keep reading the reviews. I've been Donna Tiernan. I remain to be Rory Moore. Uh, yeah. I'll probably change in the next few minutes. <laughs> well, the beard's gone. Oh God, I hate that. Uh, just done a tear. that's all I am now <laughs> Nan was my bearded syllable alright yeah bye bye from me and bye bye from Rory alright good luck lads we'll see you next week I don't know what's the matter with you lot one minute you don't want to drink and the next minute you do you're all completely potty here get stuck into that lot oh well uh, that, that's my flatmate Vivian hi Vivian what are you doing shut up you girl <laughs> I'm not a girl at all. <laughs> Mind you, we're all pretty potty in this house. <laughs> Last night, right, we were all watching the television, and it was a programme we wanted to watch, you know, and uh, we were just watching it, and right in the middle of it, I got up and turned it off. <laughs> Mad! <laughs> I don't care what I do, you know. Well, unless it's work or anything like that, you know. <laughs> Last Wednesday, we stayed up till one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> okay, pop music, let's go. <laughs> Anyone here like the Human League? Okay. 